Welcome to Kapwa Conversations, a podcast that amplifies the voices of Filipino, Philippinex folks in the health and wellness space. We use the indigenous wisdom of Kapwa, or shared inner self, to connect, inspire, and remember that we are all connected. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and be in Kapwa together. You can also help spread the word by sharing today's episode on social media and tagging us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. Without any further ado, here's today's conversation. So welcome to the show, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to say for people who might not know, we're recording this episode the week of Thanksgiving, so I'm sure... You are super, super busy these days. So yeah, just wondering how you're feeling, how everything's going. Yeah, so um, luckily, uh, Cora is on a break this week. And so I'm able to focus all my efforts on Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving festivities and hopefully Black Friday shopping. So... Yes, that's that's what's in store for this week. This one, uh, this girl never takes a break, I guess. If it's not core, it's something else. <laughs> yeah, and for, for people who may not be familiar, I wonder if you can tell a little bit about the journey of Cora and maybe even your journey too with food and how it's tied to Filipino, Filipinx identity and your personal story. Of course. I mean, it's definitely a long one. It's one that started from when I was a little girl and having all of these parties um, in a Filipino household, you know, we're not shy when it comes to hosting fiestas and having large gatherings. And so, you know, at those, I was surrounded by food all the time. And my mom and grandmother who were amazing cooks in the kitchen, um, my late grandmother, she passed away this past January. And so, you know, I am fondly recollecting memories of her all the time, um, especially now that she's passed. I grew up around such um, an amazing family in an amazing family that celebrated life whenever and however we could. And yeah, food has always been a big part of how I kind of you know, remember stories. I I circle a lot of my memory around food memories and things I've had and at what points in my life I've had them. And, um, you know, it's always been a huge part of my life. A lot of my inspiration came from my grandma and being with her in the kitchen. And it's just really been such a journey from when I was a little girl to throughout high school when I finally decided that I might take it up as a profession um, and take it more seriously to to now that I'm really like hustling and creating something that I never even thought was possible. And I'm wondering how maybe that first conversation was with your family of saying that I want to pursue food and being a chef professionally because I know maybe I'm speaking for my experience 
there tend to be specific pathways and careers that our parents, yeah. because that was their pathway to success, they want they want that kind of security for us. So I'm wondering, yeah, was there any pushback or managing like any difficult conversations during that? Yeah, one hundred percent. My mom is a uh, well, was an overnight nurse. She's since retired. But, you know, that's sort of the stereotypical Filipino mom occupation. And, you know, following in, in her footsteps was certainly something that was encouraged or doing something that, quote unquote, was is more practical, like being in the medical field or something that makes a lot of money, being a lawyer, all of the above were um, definitely encouraged for both myself and my brother growing up. But when I realized that I wanted to do, to be in food and have it as, as, as my career, I knew that I, there was nothing else I, I wanted to do. And no matter what it was, I wouldn't be happy unless I was pursuing food. And I, I just ultimately knew there was no other way that my life could go where I would be happy. And so, yes, there was a lot of pushback in the in the beginning when I was applying to colleges and I was I remember going through the application process and thinking, you know, oh, like, yeah, I can I can potentially, I don't know, go to nursing, you know, eventually go and try to be a nurse or or whatever my parents were kind of shoving shoving down my my throat. But when I saw the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, and I was reading about it and it, it just felt so right. And I had to convince them and it took a lot of convincing. I still applied, even though they were sort of very strongly against the idea of, of me going to culinary school, but I still applied because I felt like there was just a little chance that I would be able to somehow persuade them to let me go. And, you know, after a lot of really tough conversations with them, and expressing to them that this is truly what I wanted to do. I think they really were able to take that all in and they, and they saw that in me and eventually they said, let's do it. And they were, after that point, they were in full support of these hopes and dreams of mine and they, they paid for everything. And they were just like, if we're going to do this for you, and this is truly what you don't want to do, which is something that I really expressed to them. We're going to, we're going to go full throttle and we're going to make this happen for you. And so from one end of the spectrum to another, it's been, it's been an insane journey. I think I've seen them come out and support some of your events and be a part of the core team, maybe yeah. officially or unofficially. So yeah, it must feel really fulfilling, especially at this time. It, for, from someone who is watching it, it feels like a kind of full circle moment. For sure. Um, yeah, my, my mom is here every Friday when we do our, our donut drops and my, you know, my dad is a little more of a, a, a background supporter, but you know, they're all, they're all, we're all talking about it all the time. And I can't tell you how many times I hear them showing me off to their friends or sharing all these articles <laughs> or like all the titas are like trying to, you know, get in contact with me and um, some of their friends who, work um for like gma or um t uh what's what's the other big one abs cbn oh, in the philippines yeah. 
like they have a couple of friends that work as remote reporters for them and they're like trying to get me to do all these interviews and things like that so yeah they, it's definitely come full circle and they're so so supportive of everything I'm doing no anytime I bring up Cora and how exciting it is and all of these new opportunities that have been given to me and, and the whole team really and the whole family really my mom like can't help but shed a few tears because it really is so exciting and honestly it feels like something like this has been a long time coming in my life like I was not necessarily donuts or or you know everything that's happening now but just I don't know it almost feels like I was destined to do something and it's finally kind of you know it's almost like a like when you're trying to figure out what your path is when you're young and you don't know what it is. And then eventually it kind of just like falls into your lap sometimes. Um, because when Cora started, this was never something that I intended to be. I so, never something I intended to, to make into my, my lifestyle or, or my main source of livelihood. It was just a fun side project. You get a little creative and here we are today. And it's, it's just been an amazing ride. Yeah, and we have similar, I guess, stories in that way, and that we've both started these endeavors in the midst of, you know, big shifts during this year and, and yeah. the pandemic. And it can seem maybe from the outside <laughs> looking in, it can seem easy because, you know, what you see on social media or what you see is typically the the most successful snapshots, but I'm sure in your experience, you know, there have been a lot of struggles or a lot of, you know, questioning or doubts. And I'm wondering, yeah, what was that process for you in creating the idea? And were there any ideas or limiting beliefs that you had to to get over to get to where you are now? So when Chorus started, it was very, like I said, very casual. And I didn't think, you know, going back to what you were saying about limiting beliefs or did I have any, did I have any doubts of how this would turn out? Not really. I was kind of very much like, hey, I'm going to put this out into the world and let's just see what happens. Um, it was a very just do it mentality. And so even, even from the inception of like choosing donuts as the vessel to um, showcase Filipino flavors. I mean, th even that was a very serendipitous kind of, like it wasn't planned. It was kind of like, oh, this, this seems like a good idea. Like it's just seemed like a good idea. Um, I had leftover brioche dough from all the quarantine baking I was doing. And at this point, quarantine had been ongoing for maybe three months. I had been out of work for three months. I was laid off and I was out of work for three months and I was spending time with my parents. And I had been doing a lot of baking here in my apartment in Woodside. And when I migrated over there with my parents, I brought the frozen brioche with me. And like, I, you know, one day I decided, okay, let me, let me finally bake this off. I think it was like, a month in another month in with them. And I, and I thought, okay, I, can, I should finally bake off this frozen dough. And so I, 
I remember taking it out of the freezer, I defrosted it, I like rolled it into little balls and allowed it to rise and proof. And then I, I, I was actually thinking about just putting it in the oven and baking it off and like having some fresh bread for the family. But like many Asian Filipino households, the oven is has a dual function as a storage unit. <laughs> so there was like all these pots and pans in there. And I was so lazy and I just didn't, honestly, I just didn't want to take them out <laughs> and then have to put them back in later. And because there's so much in there, I would have eventually have to like pay, play Tetris with everything again. So I was, I just thought to myself, oh, I can just like fry, fry them into little donuts or donut balls. And so, yeah, that's what I did. I heated up some oil and <clears throat> I fried off the dough and I had made a cake for a friend two or three days prior and it was an ube crepe cake and I made like this ube pastry cream to to fill it with and I had some leftover so when I fried off the donuts I filled some of the donuts with it just because I had it and why not and I remember taking my first bite out of one of the donuts and thinking this is like really good like I think people would like this and that was really as simple as it was. And I said, I think people would like this. I know a lot of people are doing baking from home and selling stuff and, you know, making, you know, having other means of, of making money during this time because a lot of people in the industry had lost their jobs. So I had a lot of peers that were also doing like online cooking classes or doing savory food, selling from their home. I thought, you know, kind of backtracking a little bit, before I was laid off, I had been thinking a long time about doing tasting dinners for my apartment because I'm in Woodside and uh, it's little Manila. It just felt like a natural, let me do Filipino dinners. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time, you know, d dive into Filipino culture and explore it and share it. And because of where I was, where, where I'm currently living and, you know, our apartment isn't your typical New York city apartment. That's super small and scrunched. Like I'm very, I'm very comfortable here. And, you know, I felt like it was a nice space to host people. So I was planning on doing those dinners and then obviously COVID happened and that wasn't a possibility anymore. So fast forward went to when during quarantine and when I'm, you know, during the time I'm frying these donuts at that point, I was thinking, okay, like, I definitely want to do something right now. I have all this time on my hands. Um, you know, that was a big part of it, too. I just had so much time that I just wanted to be busy and do something. And I had all this time on my hands. I saw, you know, a lot of people getting creative at home and, you know, selling all of these different types of foods. And I just wanted to hop on the bandwagon myself. And, um, yeah, I remember that day fried the donuts, tried it. I thought they were, they were good. And I thought, yeah, people will probably buy this. I would buy it. You know, I think it was more of like, if I would buy it, I thought that probably other people would also buy it. And that was as far as that went. Again, there was no, I didn't think of, you know, are people going to like this? I wasn't worried about it. I just thought I like it. So uh, it might be okay. And I, I felt like, you know, in talking about those dinners, I kind of strayed away from doing something savory only because I, I, I gravitated towards a type of product that could be, could be better as a takeaway item and wouldn't deteriorate in quality, like as <clears throat> being packaged. You know, if you think about most savory foods, they're best when, you know, eaten straight from 
the oven or from the stove or things like that. And then after time and they sit, it's not as, as great as it would be. Whereas pastries are a little more forgiving and they can, you know, you can have them packaged and they're great for a much longer period of time. And so, yeah, I, I, I gravitated towards pastries or something um, dessert centered. And so when, when this whole donut fiasco happened, um, I thought, yeah, this is it. This is the thing that I'm going to make. And I like frying dough. It's like really fun. Like I love frying things for some reason. I just like love watching like dough bob on the surface of the oil and like little like sen sensational things that like I like about it. And I thought, mm -hmm. yeah, I could, I could do this. So I went back to Woodside maybe a week or two or a couple days later and I sat in my bed and I started just conceptualizing some flavors and um, brainstorming how I could possibly do this out of this apartment. And, you know, I wanted to keep it relatively small. I wanted it as casual as possible. I didn't want to be known for donuts. I didn't, I didn't want to start a donut business is what I'm trying to say. Like I was like, I thought in my mind, Oh, I can do this for, I'll probably do this for like a month and then I'll end it there because this is just for fun. But Obviously, it's been way more than a month to date. I think it's been a, I want to say six months. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's just been, it's from, from the inception of Cora to now, I can't describe, like, obviously I wasn't able to cut it off after a month because of how quickly the demand grew and how it's just continuing to grow um, even, even now that, you know, where, when the eater article came out, which you might've mm -hmm. read. That's how I heard about Cora yeah. officially. Yeah. Yeah. It, Cora was when, when we were contacted by somebody writing for eater, I remember at that point we had already, we had turned down the New York times because we were like, there's no way that if we get this much exposure, there's like no way that we're going to be able to produce out of this apartment. And obviously eater is also like a huge, has a huge following and you know, they're, they're not a small publication by any means, but for some reason between my boyfriend, Kevin and I, for some reason we looked at each other and we thought, Oh, like we're more comfortable with, with, <laughs> uh, with eater just because we thought like eaters, Sometimes eaters articles, like not all of them are highlighted. Some of them are kind of just like side pieces, like kind of like almost like, like white quick noise. blog. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, oh, it's probably going to be like one of those. And we thought that it's not going to be anything big. And then once, and they didn't tell it, like we weren't able to read the article before it was published or anything like that. I don't think we're legally allowed to or something, but I actually, when the article was finally published, so we had this. Uh, phone interview with this woman from Eater. And then we didn't even know when the article was going to be published. And she said, Hey, like, you know, we're, we're probably going to publish in the next couple of weeks. I can't tell you when, I don't know when, cause I, she's apparently that she submits the article to them and then they decide when to post it or her higher ups. And I remember the day that it was posted, somebody just, some random customer of ours messaged me and was like, hey, you guys got written up on Eater, which I knew was going to happen. But like, I didn't know that it had already been published. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, it just blew up insanely. And when the Eater article was published, I think the number of followers on Quora was maybe 500. 
which is like pretty like a lot considering it's good that, yeah you considering just started. That, yeah we we had just moved from we had just launched Cora as a separate Instagram two days prior to that and we had 500 followers which is like whoa like that's pretty impressive and then after the uh, eater article came out it like shot up to I think we hit 10k in like a week and so um and then it just it's been growing since but yeah I mean it's grown exponentially um after that eater article and here we are yeah I mean, I hear a lot of, so I try to interlace or see how a lot of yoga philosophy goes into these kind of Philippine X health and wellness kind of stories. And I think one of the values that I hear is the value of self-study, knowing yourself deeply so that you know where to focus your energy, your, your attention. And I feel like all of these things seem to be the culmination of your specific experiences. Like that, the fact that you're in Woodside and Little Manila and, and you have this, this platform, the space that you're living in, the experience that you have from your grandmother, the support of your family, the skills that you've developed in culinary spaces like they all seem like the the fine-tuning of a self-study practice so yeah it's, it's really inspiring to hear how you can apply that idea in something that maybe you didn't even see for yourself yeah um I think before Cora happened I feel like the idea of something like destiny was very far-fetched to me but after my grandma passed away, I think something was born in me, like a new type of spirituality. I felt almost more connected to her in a lot of ways after she passed, you know, in in just reminiscing or coming up with all the ideas for Cora. It really made me feel oddly closer to her, even though she's not physically here anymore. And again, like you were saying, the the fact that I, you know, even even moving to this apartment was very serendipitous too. Like I had been, I was living with my parents and I had been looking for an apartment for a while and I wanted it to check all of these specific, very specific boxes. And it was like, oh, I kind of want it to be not too far from my parents, but kind of like close enough to the city. So my commute isn't crazy and like, close to the train and like I had all of these details I wanted my my first space um being away from my parents to be like and I had given up the search because it was there was nothing that I could find that was also reasonably priced and it was one day my cousin Rob texts me so random I had like I said I, I was not looking actively anymore and my cousin Rob texts me one day and he's looking to move out. And he says, Hey, Kim, I actually found a space. I'm, I'm actually probably going to sign the lease today. You should come check it out. Just see, see what happens. And we both show up there and the landlord sees me and him and says, Hey, if you're both willing to move into the space, I would be glad to offer you this space upstairs that I haven't really marketed publicly, but because I'm seeing the both of you here and you're 
both seem kind of interested, I'll give it to you. And that was, that all happened just because Rob decided one day to reach out as give me a call. And, and here we are, you know, three years later. And it was, it literally checked all my boxes. The fact that it's in little Manila was like an extra plus. And then everything that followed after it just seemed so natural. And the fact that I'm doing Filipino food and, and I am Filipino and it's, it's just so, it feels like destiny now. It mm. really, really, it's, I don't know how to describe my thought process when Cora happened. And I think about my grandma, like all of these things together, just it, it all almost like fit together like puzzle pieces. And that's, that's why I feel like destiny has become such a key word in my life these days. Cause that's really what it feels like. I have no other word to describe the feeling. Yeah. And I, Definitely everything that you're saying resonates with me too and like how I feel on on my specific journey and where I've come to see spirituality is the intersection of destiny and free will and that there is always this, this wanting from the universe, from God, from your ancestors to go down the potential highest path for you but you always have the free will to listen to it or to not and yeah as somebody who has orbited your your space your story it seems like you are definitely listening yeah for sure for sure I feel like I I I talk to my grandma every single day like in my in my thoughts and you know, I know, you know, you know, Rob, and you're very close with Rob. And yeah, in the morning, sometimes I, I jump rope with him. Uh, I work out with Rob. And when the sun comes up, we look up at the sun and we immediately feel grandma's presence. And, you know, I feel like she's directing me and guiding me every day. And maybe something that might be, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but something that I've learned recently about pre-colonial Filipino history, ancestry, is that the ancestor worship, the rituals of it, and the use of food and drink, usually alcohol, is something that has always existed. It predates Spanish um, influence. And there's the tradition of setting up a dambana or uh, an altar to your ancestors and then having each direction, north, south, east, west, have a specific meaning and offering of of water, earth, fire. And yeah, and it would be an offering to your ancestors for, for guidance, for understanding, for forgiveness, all of those things. So it really does seem like you, your work, Cora, is like this metaphorical Dambana altar yeah. to your your ancestors, your grandmother. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting to think about. It's like a, it's a modern version of that. Wow, that's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah. And I wonder, too, maybe going a little bit more, because I'm curious to hear about your formal culinary journey and I'm wondering did you have any mentors that were Filipino and I I wonder I'm assuming that that space is predominantly white 
and what it's like to be somebody of Filipino heritage navigating these higher institutions of probably white Eurocentric techniques and and sensibilities. Yeah. Um, so in culinary school, primarily you're taught the classic techniques of French and Italian cooking. And we did delve into other other cultures and other cuisines. Uh, we had an Asians class that was literally a week long. Um, but at the end of the day, it always sort of gravitated back to these European techniques as the quintessential skills that you need to know when entering any kitchen, which is, which is great, but there's so much more beyond these techniques that, um, and there's some techniques of classical cooking that I feel like, you know, are, are almost not as essential or not as creative or expressive in the cooking as if you were, um, if you were to go into a lot of other Asian techniques. Um, and so being, I don't think that, you know, because our industry has changed so much over the years, the Culinary Institute of America used to be an all, all male school, actually, when it first opened for a long time. I think it only turned into a, um, a school open to women as well, fairly recently. I want to say like the 80s. Wow. So that's what, 30, 40, 40 years ago? Mm-hmm. which is insane to think about. But like I said, the there is still remnants of this very masculine culture in, in this industry. Um, it's changing rapid. It's changed. It's changed so much, but it's still continuing to, to change and changing pretty rapidly um, just because women have become so much more empowered especially in these last few years, I feel. I don't particularly feel like I had any setbacks um, as I've worked through different kitchens in New York City. And New York City in general is just such an eclectic place to work. So while yes, looking back, I'm thinking about all of my bosses and higher ups and Yes, they all have been white, but I've also had such an amazing crew of people from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds that have worked beside me, or also a couple, I could name up just a, just a few um, that I did work under. And, you know, again, that is, that is still continuing to change. And people that have, people that are managing kitchens now are, coming from so many places, which is really exciting to see because it's opening the door for not only more diversity in the workplace, but also a diver diversity in the actual food that's being created. We're, they're able to draw influences from their own personal backgrounds and integrate it into, you know, existing menus or new menus. So that's that's been really exciting to see for me generally throughout my career. And so, yeah, I don't feel like I've had any difficulties navigating there, which is which is good news because you don't hear that often. I feel like a lot of minorities, especially minority women, might have this experience. But personally, I feel like everyone's been so open-minded and, and um, yeah. And as somebody who 
is just observing it, tasting it. It does feel like there is this kind of renaissance going on, not just with Filipino cuisine, but all of these different chefs who may have come from a traditional classical background, but are also embracing their family's ethnicity, family's origin, and trying to marry the two, like this diasporic experience of coming from uh, immigrant families, and then also taking taking the best of the American experience and of your your family's experience. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like a lot of people are really starting to embrace that. Whereas when we were growing up, because we're a similar generation, you didn't really see, I'm thinking of Filipino food specifically, you didn't really see it be above uh, like a turo turo, like a cafeteria style or restaurants that were catered to Filipinos, not really for a, a more, you know, diverse palate. So it's been interesting and, and really inspiring to see people trying to to navigate those things because I feel like it's, mm-hmm. this is the first generation that's kind of doing that. Yeah, in, in hearing what you just said, you know, I think there was a lot of almost shame that Filipinos felt for our food because, you know, we were comparing to other cuisines that were more elevated, like Italian and French and what back then or even still now you know there's still some remnants of it now that they're considered better and more refined and more sought out or whatever it was and i think that you know now that people are coming back to their roots and understanding and you know i'm I'm going back to i remember when we were kind of trying to develop what our mission statement was for Cora. Um, it, it previously, and you, and and it's interesting to see that that even my in my mind, I considered almost Filipino food less elevated early on. But in talking to my other team members and some of my my partners, we realized that Filipino food is already rich. It doesn't need to be elevated. And so we had changed that our the first word of our mission statement was elevating Filipino cuisine. And it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it went on, but we, we decided this doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. How can we stand behind the fact that essentially what the statement is doing is putting all the other cuisines on some sort of a pedestal. Like a hierarchy. And, exactly. And so um, we, we said, let's change it to exploring, exploring the richness because it already exists in Filipino cuisine. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need it. It's, it's already elevated the way it is. And so, you know, coming to that realization was really exciting because I found myself cha- completely changing 360, my mindset of like, because of this culture or this idea of being um, ashamed about our flavors or maybe certain ingredients or dishes that we use, I think that it completely changed in that moment and re- in realizing like there's there's so many special things about this already. We don't need we don't need to change it up. People need to understand it the way it is because at at its core, it already has so much to offer. So, and really, I hope people sit with with that story because I think that is what decolonization is about that 
you know, our specific experience, the Filipino experience of being colonized by Spain and Europe, there was a hierarchy literally placed upon us that said the European or white standard is the ideal and the things that are indigenous to us, our personal history is something that is beneath and that needs saving and that should be looked down upon. And if you have 400 (laughs) years of that, you have this intergenerational trauma or, or mindset, colonial mindset of thinking, oh yeah, my food is, and it goes all the way down to food. My food is, is not as good as, mm-hmm. yeah. um, because I remember for me, the experience of when you could bring your own lunch to school, yeah. growing up in Queens too, and thinking, oh, it's weird if I bring adobo and rice to school whereas other people are having pb and j's and or lunchables at that time if i'm dating myself (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and then just like realizing and especially now because i think decolonization is a big buzzword that people are trying to you know especially as we look to our black and indigenous um cousins who are are the most marginalized by by this kind of hierarchy that you know, there's a lot of work for us who are Filipino, Filipinax to do for ourselves. And it can start as as simply as taking pride and realizing what you just said, that you don't need to elevate the experience that you have with your food, that, you know, this whole circle of remembrance back to your, to honoring your Lola is is this idea of not necessarily trying to elevate it's exploring it's remembering it's honoring and yeah i hope people find that in their in their autobiographical stories with their families too yeah and if anyone has is maybe inspired by your story is there any advice that you would give to somebody who's looking to make food or, or or become a chef or or have these ideas of of navigating um this kind of trajectory where maybe there's nobody in their family who's doing that kind of thing yeah um i would say and i've i've been i've been feeling this since i started and it's that be as sincere and genuine with who you are as possible because that's what people, yes, we're selling donuts, but at the end of the day, I think what we're really, what's really attracting people to Cora and who we are is how we've stayed true to our goals and our, true to what our mission statement is. And also understanding that we're, the, the idea of human connection and the ability for, when I, when I started Cora and I was on my personal Instagram, I think on top of people being really excited about the donuts and the flavors, they were also excited about maybe even more excited about the story that came with them and all the, um, all the education that came with it, all of the, the feels that came with it and the emotion and the passion behind the, the evolution of coral. Like that's what people have really attach themselves to. And I think when you're just genuine with people and people can connect with you, 
you know, everything else follows, you know, the, the, the success of your products follow, you know, I, I truly feel that because are my donuts the best donuts? They're good. I don't know if they're the greatest donuts on the, on the planet, but there's so much, and you know, they're, they're getting better each day and I'm very proud of them. I'm proud of, um, our flavors and our, and, 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 you know, they're delicious, but is it, it almost feels for me that there's, they're almost secondary to everything else that I want to achieve with Cora. And I think that's really what, what has led to so much of the success about behind, behind this business. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's the best advice I can give anyone just stay true to who you are. And it sounds so cliche, but I, I can't stress how, how true it is and how it's wrong true in my life. Yeah, I, I also feel like it also goes back to the thing that you said in the beginning that, that I'm that's been echoing that Cora is a vessel for the values and the experience that you want to put out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I think even taking it from a wide lens, because that's how I, I feel about uh, movement, mindfulness, the different practices that that I have that and my body specifically is a vessel. My voice, my movement is a vessel for telling stories or speaking to themes or speaking to this idea that of you are enough through, through me doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I hope that people get to hear the, that value. I, I mean, it, it does really go back to the idea of self-study that we mentioned before too, of really listening to yourself and what is your vessel? Like what is the, the thing that is the vessel for the story and the idea that you want to share with the world? Right. Is it food? Mm -hmm. Is it dance? Is it accounting? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not accounting, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally agree. Cool. And we like to end the podcast with three questions that we ask everyone. It's Are pretty, they like rapid fire questions? yeah, it's rapid oh fire. God. So whatever comes to your mind first, go with it. It's the right one. It's the no universe pressure. talking to you. <laughs> yeah. So the first one is, what is your favorite Filipino word? What does it mean? And why does it have a special meaning for you? first thing that came to my mind was literally literal <laughs> which is like so ridiculous yeah <laughs> that's what I'm just being as you know straightforward but yeah electrical was literally the first thing that came to my head what was the second question why is it important to me yeah or what does it mean I guess if people or don't what does know it mean? well it's a dish is that a, I mean is that a Filipino word? It is, I guess, yeah. right? It's 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 given from Spain, but yeah, it, there are, yeah, our flavors are the technique is Filipino, yeah. Yeah. Um and yes, it's a it's a custard dessert that's either steamed or baked with lots of eggs and milk and sugar and it's caramelly. Um and why is it important to me was the last one? Yeah. Well, as mentioned, it was uh, the, the flan recipe that I use now is my Lola's recipe, and it will just always hold a special place in my heart. Hmm. Yeah. See, there you go. There is a reason. <laughs> <laughs>
And then the second one is how is Kapwa showing up in your life today? And if you, if anyone who's listening to this might not know Kapwa, which is also the name of the podcast, is the indigenous Filipino wisdom of shared inner self. Well, you know, I feel like this entire conversation has really uh, re- reawakened all the, these ideas of and, and even the, that last piece of advice I gave of just being genuine and putting that, that sincere self out into the world and, you know, that being the thing that will ultimately lead to not just your happiness because you're able to fully express yourself and who you are at, in, you know, to your core, but also leading to you to being able to collect, connect with others authentically and fully. And the last question is, what is the biggest lesson that you're learning these days? Never get into business with your family. No, um, no, I, I, that's not true. I completely enjoy what we're doing, but you know, it, it's not, it's not easy. And, you know, it's, it's definitely easy. I feel like the easy route is to just kind of, give up on some days it it really has been um uh an up and down roller coaster journey in trying to bring cora to where where it is today but i think it's um i think the overall learning that i've had is that there there is there is always tomorrow and always to pull yourself away in moments of adversity and take a look at the bigger picture and persevere through it. Again, it, it sounds, it sounds so, like almost that cliche advice, but when you really go through the process, it just rings so true. Um, and, you know, if I had given up on Cora in moments where it was really, really difficult, um, both physically and mentally, it would have not have not grown and be as successful as, as it is today. And I'm so thankful that I, that I was able to just push through it. So I think that's my, my biggest lesson. There's always just look at the bigger picture and, and make it happen. Thank you. Yeah. And that is, that is a big theme for us with the podcast of cultivating some type of mindfulness practice, whatever works for you so that, yeah, you can you can take that step back and see the bigger picture, whether it's like what you said with you and Rob jump roping and then looking at the sun, looking at the sky, like taking a moment that's outside of your regular routine, however short or however frequent works for you is really going to help in the long run when you when you come towards those hard, hard moments. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank, thank you for you. having me. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing the story, your story, your family's story. And I hope you have a great holiday. Thank appreciate you so much. Happy holidays. And that was today's episode. Thank you so much to Kim for joining the conversation. All the info mentioned for Cora and her personal IG will be included in the show notes. We're also taking a break for the holidays 
And we'll be back with our next conversation on January 14th. In the meantime, if you'd like for us to include a guided meditation as a bonus episode, you can let us know and we might just release that in time for the new year. If you like what you heard and feel called to connect further, subscribe, leave a five-star review for the podcast and follow us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. We host an IG Live after show the Monday after the episode is released, and it's a great way for you to be involved in the conversation with us. This podcast is a part of Kapwa Yoga, a movement and mindfulness practice that integrates my background in dance, yoga, and organizational psychology. You can check out more on our website, www.kapwa.yoga, to find out more about our services. A special thank you to Uga for the theme song and episode production. You can find him on Instagram at uga.xyz. Thank you for listening. Maraming salamat and catch you in the next conversation.